The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. We've recently had some great conversations with directors whose documentaries are currently available on Netflix. Ken and I spoke with Rory Kennedy about Downfall, her searing indictment of Boeing and its enablers. We also spoke with Andrew Rossi about the Andy Warhol Diaries, in which he reveals the poignantly personal side of the legendary artist. And Ken spoke with Cootie Simmons and Chiki Oza about Genius, a portrait of another great artist, the young Kanye West, as he makes his way from obscurity to renown. You can find these conversations in the Top Docs feed, and you can watch these documentaries now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, we're talking to Bathick, director of Sub 11 Seconds. Sub 11 Seconds is a portrait of the world-class runner Shakari Richardson and had its world premiere at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. It also screens at the 28th Palm Springs International Short Fest in Palm Springs, California. As part of our focus on next-gen filmmakers, up-and-coming talents in the documentary world, Top Docs is pleased to be partnering with Shortfest to feature several filmmakers with outstanding documentary shorts in this year's festival. Bafik is an artist working primarily across the mediums of photography, film, public installation, and websites. He's collaborated with numerous music artists and premium brands. His work has often been described as blurring the lines between video art and documentary, and it was interesting to talk to Bafik about his creative process and his approach to the medium. Shakari Richardson is not only an amazing athlete, one of the world's great 100 and 200 meter runners, but her personality is so ebullient, she's style forward, and she's incredibly insightful. She's a powerful voice for women and girls who in just her very early 20s has already transcended sports to become an international star. Bafik and I talked about a lot of things, from his fascination with Errol Morris's Interatron to his adherence to one of Francis Ford Coppola's principles to boil things down to a single idea. In this case, time. Speaking of which, it's time to get to the interview. But before we do, as usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and do tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Twitter at TopDocsPod. And now it is time for my conversation with Bafik, the director of Sub 11 Seconds. Bafik, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me. Can you give us a brief logline of your film? Sub 11 Seconds is a portrait of Shakari Richardson as she prepares for the US Olympic track and field qualifiers. And the main like goal of it and plan for it is that I wanted to make something that was a portrait of her at this specific time. The core of it is time and just how precious it is. I do have some questions about time. We have plenty of time to talk about time. <laughs> so Bafik, you have a very eclectic portfolio. You work in many different mediums, photography, installations, music videos, You've done work for brands, but probably not so much in what would be considered the more traditional documentary film arenas. So I'm just curious, have the mediums that you have worked in the most shaped your approach to the documentary form? Wow. Yeah. Have the mediums, have the medium shaped my pro. I think I, whether I realize it or not, definitely. Whether I realize it or not, 
like in anything that you do like where you've come from what you've done in the past it's gonna inform like what foot you put forward isn't it yeah yeah and i think definitely the, my experience in working in like commercials i say commercials in quotations but like commercials in quotations is that like you're forced to get to what is the core of it what is the core of the idea whether the person who you're doing it for wants that of you or not is another thing but i've always felt that's really helped me make decisions and I was obsessed with this interview, this, that famous interview with Francis Ford Coppola, something he learned from working in theatre, which is like, what is the core of your film? And he said, like, the Godfather, the core of Godfather is about succession. So every decision he made came back to that idea. So that's something that I've always thought was so incredible. And I've always wanted to think about things that way and work like that. And I think whenever I'm doing something, it just really helps guide where to go. I think that this might be the first project that you've done that's a portrait of an athlete. Is that the case? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. And what about making a film about the runner Shakari Richardson sparked you creatively? As soon as I started seeing clips of her and interviews of her, I just felt it. I just was like, oh, wow, she's super interesting. She's completely different to her peers when she's competing, how she is on the track. She just has this different thing about her. But also, as I was like watching interviews, I feel like there's so much that we don't know. And it, it just felt like, oh, this was so intriguing. There was so much more to unpack. There's so much more to look and understand. Yeah. And I think going into anything, it's like things that intrigue me the most is things where I'm like, in the process of making it, I'm finding out what it is. I don't really tend to like going into stuff where from the beginning I know what it is or know who it is. Or there has to be discovery in it. Yeah, there has to be discovery in it. Yeah, that is really important. And watching stuff, I was like, oh, wow, she's so interesting. She's so amazing. She's so like graceful. She's a contrast of so many different things, I thought, which was just, which is to be human, isn't it? Let's talk about how the film opens, because I think it's very striking. First, the way it's shot. It's an extreme close-up. We see this person shot in a lot of shadow. We see these giant eyelashes, which also create shadows across her eyes. She's got orange hair, two stud earrings in her nose. In fact, other than the headband she wears, if we didn't know she was an athlete, we probably wouldn't guess this. What did you want to establish in these first 30 seconds or so in terms of presenting Shikari to the audience? Well, portrait, like really her, like her face, her eyes. My into a lot of things is like graphic design and photography. And not until saying that out loud, I've just connected the dots of like where the eye is so important. So like in documentary photography, like a certain type of documentary photography, it's like the gaze of the subject into the lens. And then with graphic design, it's like, where does the eye lead you? Like, where is the master typeface? Where's the header? What's the leading? What's the kerning between letters? What's the, you know, macro, micro? What is the large thing that gauges the eye that takes up a lot of presence? And then what is the small thing that is like the body text, for example? And the eye is just, where is the eye? You know, where you put the eye is where the, where the viewer is drawn to. It's funny, yesterday I was trying to FaceTime my girlfriend and uh, as I was on FaceTime, I was looking at my eyes and I noticed my eyes started twitching. I was so confused because my real eyes weren't twitching, but in the screen they were twitching. And I like searched into it and there's like a feature on FaceTime where they digitally move your pupils to look like it's looking at the person you're looking at. Because that's what's so interesting about Zoom, FaceTime, and all these things that you never truly have eye contact. Because to have eye contact, I would have to be looking into the camera lens, but I would be seeing your reaction. So they've like done this thing where there's this feature where 
it adjusts it automatically to shift your eyes. And it was a bit crude because I think it's in beta testing, but I say that to say it's something that I've really tried to look into and investigate. And some time ago, I discovered the Errol Morris and Teratron. I think first like, I discovered him through like his old Apple ads. And I was like, so taken away by like his just, you felt like you were there with the person. And I could never understand why, why I hate the term talking heads. Like, I, I don't know, I just hate like documentary terms. Like I just... I could never understand why his interviews felt so, he felt so immersed. Like I loved Wormwood, I thought it was incredible. And I was like, why is it? And I just did a lot of digging and I was like, oh, he's made this thing. Is anyone else know? He made this device where he could interview his subject and the subject won't be looking into the lens. They'll be looking into a live feed of him. So they'll be looking directly into his eyes and he'd be seated off to the left or right of the camera. So what that meant was eye contact was just locked. Your pupils were locked. And that subtle difference, whether the viewer sees it is one thing, but I think you feel it because the subject is looking into someone's eyes. They're looking into someone's eyes. They're having a dialogue. So that was something that I really wanted to use. I knew was going to be a big part of it because I knew that her voice and her eyes they were going to be the lead. They were going to be the lead for the story. So I had an Interatron to cut them through. Sure. <laughs> you, you didn't actually use an Interatron, did you? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> but I also think I, there's an Interatron, which is what he's made. Yeah. But then I think there's loads of like lower grade bootleg versions that aren't like Errol Morris certified. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the legal patent standard on it is, but I use some version of it. So bottom yeah. line, when she was looking in the lens, she was looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. The thing with that is that it suddenly becomes like, I never saw my face and she never saw her face, but I saw her face. But what it does, it just makes it so that, yeah, when we're talking, when she says something, she's getting my live reactions. I'm in the conversation. I'm having a conversation with her. It would have gone the same way if it was like us sitting down for lunch. I'm just inquisitive and I ask them, like, say that again? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? That's so interesting. And, you know, she's seeing my live reaction to stuff. So it becomes this feedback loop, which is very important. Another obviously important element is time, as you alluded to earlier. It's a huge element of the film, thematically, visually, and as a constant reference point. It's also an element that can be played with in film, for example, in disrupting continuity. When did you realize the time was going to feature directly in many of the shots and be an explicit theme of the film? From the beginning, because it was something that I was thinking about a lot, time, just coming off of the back of the pandemic. The focus of time is in the film at so many different levels, as it is it's a very important time in her life. Her craft is time-focused. There's a very weird time in America. There's a very weird time on the planet. So I wanted that to be a key theme is something that is so puzzling because it's this thing that we have conceptualized as humans. We came up with the measurement of numbers and then we came up with the measurement of time. I've done a bit of research on it, but just from little things that I've read here and there, whether it was clocks, watches or sundials, like we needed to understand like the position of the sun and crops and food and day and night. So I felt like it was always going to be a big part of it. It's also something that Shakiri herself talks a lot about in in your interviews with you. It's not something, quote unquote, imposed by you, the director, on the film. It's an organic element of these conversations you're having with her, it seems. Yeah, I would ask her, like, what does time mean to you? I'd ask her certain questions, and then we would talk about that and, and unpack it. 
It's such a like interesting fine line, especially for documentary. I think it's such an interesting moment for documentary because we've come off the back of this super big theme in the air of like what is real and what is not. I think that is so interesting for documentary, a form that lends itself to being like, this is true. This is pure. This is real. That's something that I was like thinking a lot about is I have an idea of what I think this story is. I have an idea of what I think the themes are in this. I wonder if I bring up these themes to Shakari, if she's like, yes, I think about these things too. And this is how I think about these things. And this is how these themes affect my life in both good and bad. And that's what's such an interesting thing. It's not like trying to be like, so can you please, it's a conversation that can go in so many different directions. And it's super key that you allow the person to, to, to speak and you don't impose too much. Also, it's interesting because it's still like something that I'm thinking about this thing. Like, what do you think? And then she goes into it and then she can talk about it. Yeah. The centerpiece of the film is the 100 meters Olympic trial, the final race. It's a huge moment, obviously, for Shikari, but also for your film and how you approach it is going to be critical to the film. I wanted to ask you about how you approach shooting the big race. Was it a case of shooting the heck out of it with several cameras to make sure you had multiple angles and wouldn't miss anything? I don't know what kind of access you had at all to the venue, because obviously this is a big race. So can you talk about just shooting that race? I knew when I was going to come to the race that it was not going to play out in real time. I was really sure of that. And I was super interested how we can play through something and then go back a tiny bit from another angle, sort of repeat things, but not all the way. I take it back a bit. So I knew that multi-cam was going to be something that was super key. In the edit where it came from taking it back a bit, something I was thinking a lot about, it was going to be like the score for that section was chopped and screwed music. So like Carrie's from, from Texas, a very important, I hate the word genre, but a very important genre of, of music and specific to rap music is chopped and screwed music. And it is a gesture that is the subversion of time. It is like taking a song and slowing it down, chopping it up. It's exactly what the core of the film was. And that's something that I was like thinking about a lot. What we ended up doing was taking that idea and like we would screw some of the music. We would slow down some of the music, we reverse some of the music. And then I guess the chop stuff was what I was thinking a lot about in terms of like how we were cut into different camera angles. Yeah, so multicam was something that I was thinking about a lot. An element of it that I was thinking about when making it as well was about media. The presence of cameras, you know, the ones that are filming the race as well as like self-referential, like us filming as well. The Jumbotron, that was all quite important. That's very specific to this time that we're in, is the rise and rise of media. And what about showing the race in slow motion? As the title <laughs> tells us, that the race itself is going to take less than 11 seconds. But in the film, it takes about 45 seconds or so to happen. And Shikari talks about staying in there and just watching everything slowly happen. So I'm thinking she, in a way, was a guide for you in terms of how to show the race, perhaps. But can you talk about your creative process and figuring out in the edit how you were going to show it. Honestly, it was back to Chopped and Screwed. There was this Pink Floyd song that I kept on playing, but I found like a Chopped and Screwed version of it and stuff like that. And I'd play it over clips of other race footage of Shikari and I would like artificially slow it down. This is pre-shooting the race, just to get an understanding of the vibe and the energy that I wanted to exist. Going into it, I knew that when it would get to the race, I knew everything was going to play out, was going to play out like 25 frames throughout the documentary. Maybe elements of bits that were slow motion. 
to tease what was coming. But anyway, when it got to the race, it wanted to be a build-up, like this really intense build-up. And then when it got to the race and the gun went off, for it to almost be like a tranquil silence, so like a really beautiful, rich in melody painting, so to speak. And I say painting to say that everything would be slowed down, you'd be focused on so many different details, you'd be seeing. And that's what I started to realise once was watching it again in the edit was just like watching her run compared to her peers. It was like, there's such a difference if you like look at her face and everyone else's. And then married with what she was saying about running, pieced together just felt like the ultimate portrait throughout talking about her past and then her talking about her practice, playing it through so motion. It was always intended, but that really did come from thinking a lot about Chopton Street music. And that came from, you know, she's from Texas. So it's something that I was just like going into. Her, I was like, oh, this is just, yeah. When you're working on something, you're like, bringing in these things from like different areas. Or for me, I always tend to find these similarities of like, that's so crazy that this is the same. I'm thinking about time. Okay, so that's my core thing. Back to the Coppola thing he talks about. If it's about succession, if someone says, what color should we wear? Then he thinks, okay, how does this make succession? So I'm thinking about time. So I'm trying to make everything as much as possible go to time. And if not time, other themes as well that also have a link back to time. So did you end up using chopped and screwed music or a version of it for the score? I don't end up using chopped and screwed music, but it's something that me and Daniel, who I worked on the score with, we spoke about a lot and it was like, okay, how can we take the energy from that and bring that into using other sonics, other melodies? So how can we write stuff and make stuff and then slow that down? Let's flip that, let's stretch it out. And that married up with the slow motion footage and then with her voice and then with the build-up and then the repetition, it's almost like it's a song. It just ended up becoming this trance-like thing and that's something that we were talking about a lot which is it had to feel transcendental it had to feel like it was just going to another place that was only able to get there due to her past experience and just how great and focused she is at the beginning of the film you've obviously asked her what do you fear because she says what do i fear and then before she can answer the question basically the whole rest of the film plays out and then at the end of the film we hear her answer to the question of what does she fear And she says that her biggest fear is not being able to do what she's been blessed to do, basically. Ironically, tragically, a month after the Olympic trials, she's suspended from the U.S. team for a positive marijuana test. So in a way, her biggest fear did come true, at least for the 2021 Olympics, because she wasn't allowed to compete because of those rules. Thankfully, she's back to running now. But I wondered if you thought back to that quote when the news broke that she wouldn't be allowed to compete in the Olympics. It wasn't until we were sitting down editing it that we saw it. And then we were like, whoa. And then that's where the thing came to, okay, let's split it. So the answer to that becomes the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting decision to not include any information about these events after the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just think like, that's that's fat that's fat and something that i just kept on reiterating was how is this going to age and it's something that i said to shikari when we finished the interview i was like i'm not 100 percent sure if you will like this right now i don't know but my goal for this is to make something that in 10 years 15 years 20 30 years time you can look back on this and be like oh wow yeah that is that is me at that specific moment. That is like me to my core. That is everything I was thinking about. That is everything I was going through. So that's something that I was just thinking about a lot was how is she going to look 
back on this? How is this going to be representative of her at that moment? And also a big part of it was just like the window that it was made in, like the window of time. And the moment you step out of that, it becomes like this other thing. Then I think you have to go into all of that. And then I think it just becomes this, to be honest, it becomes this like cheap thing because those decisions are weighted on so many other things. And I was like, I don't really want to go into that. And when I thought about it, I, I exercised those thoughts, okay, what would, but then I was just like, actually, yeah, nah, don't want to, don't want to do that. I think so many of the decisions you made about what to include and what not to include ultimately serve the film as a whole. Yeah. This is such a rich portrait. It's a great time capsule. And I think it is something for time immemorial. So thank you so much for talking to me today. And I want to ask you one other thing. What is next for you? If you can tell uh, us. More interrogations of themes and ideas in some sort of my own specific way. I really want to work more in longer forms, both in scripted and documentary, as well as I might make a photo book. I don't think of things as just like that medium. Like I'm like, okay, how does this exist in different ways? That's what I find super exciting. I think storytelling is bigger than a medium. Storytelling exists in so many different forms. Storytelling and interrogation of themes can happen in different ways. I think I'm just that type of person. Yeah, so I want to interrogate different things. Well, the possibilities are endless and we can't wait to see what's next. And congratulations on this film. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ken. Thank you. Take care, Patrick. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Do you have a recommendation for a documentary short that people should see? Oh, yes. A friend of mine has done this short, Lock Off. It's really good. A friend of mine called Kwesi Poku. He's a director based in London, and he's done this short. It's not a documentary, though, actually. Sorry. Mm-hmm.